episode of MJ's Progress Not Perfection. Today's guest is Dean. Um, Dean is an author that has written a book about a story. It's actually tagged in the description. Um, he is Australian. You'll be able to tell right away when he starts talking. He is definitely not American. And now I can officially say that I have interviewed people all across the world and not just in the country. And that makes me pretty happy. And his story is crazy. Um, lots of time in jail, even as early as 14. Boys' homes, if he wasn't in jail, going up in the, through the 70s and 80s. And, you know, during when heroin was going crazy around Australia, he was part of it. Um, just a spoiler alert, he at one point had 120 charges against him when he was arrested. And we get into all of that. Welcome to the show, Dean. I You're lucky. You're a lucky man. You threw me off for his, I didn't know you were coming from Australia when you messaged. You're like, yeah, let me just eat breakfast and I'll get back to you. I'm like, breakfast? It's 7 o'clock at night. And then I realized it's like Queensland. I'm like, oh, man, he's in Australia. Okay, cool. <coughs> and you are and you wrote a book. You're an author? Yeah, I did. I, uh, I wrote a book about my life called uh, King Hit. And what's that? Uh, so we're going to get into your life, I guess. So you're 30 years sober? Yeah, man, I, uh, I I turned it around in 89. Um, I was a heroin addict. Um, and, um, yeah, sober, not, not really. I, I still used on and off during that time, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, so you were, you were getting high in the 80s then in Australia. Yeah, that's correct. It, it was um, it, it was a high place to be down here. Um, yeah, I've heard yeah. some stories about uh, a kingpin down somewhere down there, like a family. They basically made a TV show about this family, um, and she was the mother was running the entire heroin operation, and I can't remember if it was in Sydney or somewhere else. Um, but it was like this whole big family ring and they would run it out of the house and selling heroin to everybody. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, I'm, I'm assuming it could be the Allen family. Maybe. Uh, was the uh, mother for, running uh, it? Yeah, for, uh, from Melbourne. Um, hey, that sounds right. Yeah. Uh, he, 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 he was one mad friggin'... Um, crazy guy that son you know he yeah he he was using a lot of gas a lot of a lot of speed um yeah he he, he used to have uh groups of um, addicts in his lounge room and uh if uh, if he was pissed off with somebody he, he'd just pull a gun out and shoot him there and then you know that's what i heard i heard their house was like from what i read or what i saw and read it was like a fortress like their house it was in the middle of the city but it was still like a fortress, you know, like they had a big wall and a big retaining wall to keep people out. And that son, I know we're talking about the right family because, yeah, the, the one son was absolutely wild. He would just do the craziest shit. And the mom lived next door and she couldn't really even tame him because of how wild he was. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he, uh, he, 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 he ended up getting uh, he, uh, murdered. Um yeah, I, 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 I did some jail down there back in the day in a, a prison called Pentridge. Um, yeah, that, that, those guys down there in Melbourne, they, 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 
you know, they're out there. They're, they're crazy guys, you know. They're, you know, Sydney, uh, Melbourne. Um, yeah, they're, they're probably the two states where you've got the, um, yeah, the out there kind of people, you know. The, the, the bigger populations, but. So it kind of makes sense that you're going to have a, uh, a wide variety of crazy people in those places because of population density and more drug yeah. taking and yeah that makes sense i mean yeah that they ended up making a movie out of that about that family and then the tv show is it's big here it's on tnt in america it's called animal kingdom so anybody gotcha. that anyone that's seen the show animal kingdom in the states at least that's based off the family that we're talking about in australia back in the 80s and 90s you know, mm. she was like the first matriarch of running shit back in the day. As, like, <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, running things. She was one of the <laughs> biggest, baddest ass woman in the world that was running the drug operation. Yeah. Um, so she, when's the last she, time that you got you got high then? Well, the last time I got high would have been, uh, well, well, heroin high would have been back in um, uh, 1990 during my last prison sentence. So you were getting high in prison? Uh, that last sentence uh, was uh, was when I changed. I I ended up in uh, in a rehabilitation centre in 1989 with no intentions of going there to change. My uh, my motive was to uh, get out of jail. I was going to go back on the remand. I, I'd just finished four years in a place called Bogger Road. Um, that, that that was in Brisbane, and um, I had about 120 charges I had to uh, face, and uh, the the DPP, the Director of Prosecution down here in Australia, uh, they were having a jurisdiction problem uh, where these charges had to be heard either in the Supreme Court or the District Court in Brisbane. So that other sentence had expired and I was going to go back on the remand and uh, I went up to a so-called jail lawyer and uh, I said to him, I, I, I want out of this place, you know. I've been here for three years. It's a maximum security jail. Um, yeah, I, I want out. And he said, um, bring up your criminal history, Dean, and uh, let me have a look at it. So... The next day, I, I took up my criminal record and uh, he, he said, I'll have a look at it. Then he called me back to the fence that afternoon and he asked me, did I have any money? And uh, I said, I, I think I got about 20 cents in my property. And uh, he said, you're going to need a lot more than 20 cents, Dean. Uh, there's not a court in this land that's going to give you bail. Look how many times you failed to appear on your record here. I said, keep trying, and um, he did. And um, he, he, he suggested to me the next day that he, he made bail applications previously to, to mine and uh, that he could get um, a possible release to a rehab. And uh, I, I went back to the yard and I was pulling cones and... Um, I was I was having a yarn with me mates in jail there, and uh, I looked around the jail, and you know, I'd, by this time I'd spent nearly 12 years locked up, you know, on and off, and um, I thought, ah, fucking, you know, fuck this. Um, I went back to him. I thought, if I get out of here, I can run away, you know. 
Um, so uh, I went back to him. I said, do that bail application. And uh, it was successful and I landed in the rehab. But as I said, I, I, I didn't go there to change and something happened there. What happened? Well, man, they, um, uh, it, it, it was a hellhole. Um, uh, with my way of uh, thinking and my feelings and um, how I was conditioned prior to arriving at this place, um, the feeling of the uh, environment was terrible when I arrived. Um, I, I'd, I'd heard about these rehabilitations prior to that and uh, I knew based on how I was living they were full of dogs, they would give people up, uh, they had no respect. There was no principles. To my way of thinking and conditioning, they were weak motherfuckers, you know. And uh, I, I didn't like that kind of person back then, you know. Um, and uh, you know, when I got there, they, they, you know, they, they, they were telling me to do this and write this, and uh, had to go to this villa and do do this. And I was thinking. Ah, nah, I'm, I'm not liking this already, you know. And um, yeah, it was a therapeutic community, and uh, it, it, you know, it, I don't know if you know how a therapeutic community works, but um, pretty much the residents help each other as as far as uh, dealing with internal issues on a day-to-day -day basis amongst drug addicts and their inability to to cope and, and manage their emotions within uh, those environments where it was based on uh, confrontation and, and talking about your feelings and interactions and um, confront you on your attitudes and your behaviour. And uh, this, this place was just going off its head. And, um, oh, man. <laughs> you make uh, you feel things, making you feel uh, your own feelings and think yeah, you got it. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, exactly. How old were you at this point, too, bud? Um, uh, I, I was 26. I was nearly 27. Probably never dealt with any kind of childhood stuff or anything, right? Because that much long in addiction, you know, you never had time to really deal with any stuff from growing up or teenage years or, you know, you know you're know, you just stuffing it all down with drugs and alcohol in your teens and 20s, right? Yeah, is this the first time you're feeling things? Well, I didn't think I had a problem. <laughs> yeah, most don't. <laughs> how, long uh, to, how long before you were there and you're like, all right, you know what? Maybe I did have a problem. Like you had to have had a realization at some point of like, yeah, I have a problem. Like what? how long did it take? Well, uh, it, it, it took nearly six months. Okay. It takes um, yeah, no, I, uh, I, I, I was bucking like a bull. Well, so um, if it took six months, that means that there usually would be like some kind of incident, like some kind of like something occurred, you know, either for you during a group therapy or you met something or somebody, but did something happen to where all of a sudden six months in you were changed and they're like, you're, I'm, I'm buying into this now, like. Exactly. What what happened, uh, uh, you know, from this confrontation from sun up to sundown, you know, mm -hmm. seven days a week, man. And uh, they had cardinal rules there. And, and one of those cardinal rules was that um, 
no, no, no violence or no threat of violence. And um, back in the day, like I would just physically react to that, you know, I would have just started throwing punches. But, uh, you know, I, I didn't want to go back to jail and um, I, I kind of did have enough of being in a prison environment. So I, I, I just reacted through sarcasm and uh, not participating in the program and rebelling. And I, I, I had more consequences than anybody there, you know. And, um, and one day um, through, you know, these people saying I was threatening, I was intimidating, I was aggressive, I was self-centred, I was angry. Um, you know, I, I wasn't a nice person, um, and and I got this uh, this note. They they the, the higher levels of the uh, of the program near the staff used to run the the internal program, and um, uh, they used to give these notes out to uh, to to lower level um, uh, people that used to manage the groups. Um, and and I got this note, and after you know, after about four months there, they it said, where do you get off uh, intimidating, you know, uh, other people? And 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 other, they had said that to me prior to this, you know, and uh, it it was that it was that point of the pressure after four months of it that I absolutely just went ballistic. Uh, we, we were working, um, uh, digging water pipes, putting in uh, these pipes for, for the uh, villas in, in the rehab. And there was about 30 of us on this side and uh, they had picks and shovels and I, I just started going mad and uh, throwing shovels into other bloody farms. And uh, I went up to a big tree, it was a big oak tree, and I started sparring it like I was sparring a bag and left and rights and uppercuts and my hands were just busted and I'm crying and 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 yeah and and I um uh, I, I I dropped on my knees you know and um and 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 the words just coming out I'm sick of being institutionalized I'm sick of being controlled uh if it wasn't prison it was this and uh, I cried, and uh, I, I cried for six hours, man. And and um, I, I couldn't stop crying. And, I bet and, it felt and, good, though. It had to have felt well, good. One of those well, good cries at the end where I, afterwards you're like, I needed that. Well, uh, I, I cried so much, there was no tears coming out. I was hyperventilating, you know, <laughs> and... Um, and 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 at that stage, um, no, I didn't think it was good at all. I, I was I was exhausted, and um, a, a staff member come and, and he put his arm around me and um, he said, "It's okay, it's okay, Dean. You know." Um, and 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 he supported me and he comforted me, and. Um, and and I I went back to my villa and and I had a sleep and I slept from um, probably about seven o'clock at night till about six o'clock the next morning <laughs> and and when I woke up um, I'd, I'd felt something that I hadn't felt for all my for all my uh, adult years and I felt really light on my feet mm -hmm. and I felt good 
and um, I, 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 I wasn't self-conscious anymore. Um, I, I felt really at peace. And, and I said to a resident, um, you know, I'm, I'm, feel, I'm feeling these feelings that I just expressed to you. And the resident said, welcome to vulnerability. And I said, well, if this is vulnerability, I'm not leaving it. And that was it. That was it. I, I made the choice then to participate in the program. I made a choice then to be active in the program. I made a choice then that this was my, this was my way out. That's this a, was my that, way out, man. That choice is a powerful thing once you actually make it, right? Like, it, it's funny. It, it's as simple as making the choice consciously, and we don't think it's that easy. But really, once you consciously make that choice, as in, like, I'm going to put as much effort into my recovery as I was into not being recovered, you know, then it starts working, you know? <laughs> But you have to consciously, you know, be convincing. You have to convince yourself with conviction. Because if not, it's not going to work. You know, then you're just doing it for somebody else. Like, I'm just doing it for the jails just to get out of here. And then I'm doing my time, and then I'll do whatever the hell I want once I get out of here again. But once you make that conscious choice, like, no, 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 I need to make this change because I'm done with living this way, it seems to work, right? (laughs) It's it's funny. It, It does. <clears throat> it, it it does a hundred percent, and um, uh, for me, uh, through through my process, I, I made I I I'd had enough JD, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd had enough. When did you start, like you know, using drugs or alcohol to escape? Were you was I right when I said teenage years, or was it younger? Well, I, I never used drugs to escape. Uh, I, I used drugs because I enjoyed them. Okay. Um, I, 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 as I said, when I hit rehab and they were telling me I had problems, I was laughing at them. Um, this stuff about uh, the reasons why, uh, I, I never fitted any of that shit. I, I just loved them. I, I love getting high. I love doing crazy things. I like hanging out with my mates. Um, it, it, it got pretty fucked up and and real as years went on but initially when i first started um yeah i it was I, for I fun, it. fun yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah so i mean it had to have gotten crazy i mean you said you had 120 charges on you at one point well that was only that time i uh, i was charged with a murder uh when i was uh 14 i was in a i was in a men's prison in, in uh, new south wales in a place called Long Bay, um, and uh, it got downgraded to manslaughter, and I got five years for it. At but 14? I, I'd been fourteen, yeah. But 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 I'd been in uh, I'd I'd been in boys' homes prior to that, so I I, I was um, I, I spent nearly fourteen years locked up on an on and off. So you were already institutionalized before you even like had a chance. If you were in out of boys' homes, you know, at a young age, right? Yeah. And that's basically yeah. like being like institutionalized already. I'm not sure what boys' homes look like, you know, out in Australia, but I know what boys' homes look like in the seventies. That I'm, I'm assuming you mean the seventies. Um, what in the seventies what they look like here, and you know, it's basically like juvie, but with more restrictions from what exactly. it was here. Exactly, um, but but just coming back to problems, 
when when I've realised uh, the the feeling of feeling good and vulnerability, I, I started exploring my internal dialogue and, and how I was feeling. And there was a shitload of problems in there, JD. There were so many problems in there. It was like I was looking at Everest. Give you plenty of time to work on all of them, huh? <laughs> if it takes that long to climb it, you have plenty uh, of time to work on them, man. Oh, man. Uh, you know, I, I was nowhere near base camp, you know. Were you were you going through a pro, like a 12-step program? Well... The, the 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 program did have that content in it well wasn't um, sure if you were looking back like i know it was alarming when i first looked at my step four my list of my resentments you know and it was like a lot against myself mostly a lot against myself and that was like an everest for me was reading that off to my sponsor you know the first yeah. time when i did my fifth step when i was reading off my step four and i'm like wow this is i don't like myself too much i guess <laughs> Well, 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 yeah, and uh, that 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 was that that was my main problem. I hated myself. I hated the way I looked. I used to think I was an alien. I used to think I was so ugly. I I I, I had this uh, this image thing that were, it was like when I was sixteen uh, in the boys' home, finishing that sentence for the the manslaughter. I just started getting all these voices coming to me uh, where I was ugly. Uh, you know, I just really started becoming self-conscious and, you know, my father used to tell me I was ugly as a kid and, you know, when you're a kid, your peers say, ah, oh, you ugly bastard or this about you or this about you. And, and some people are okay with that, JD. It's like water off the duck's back. But some of it started really, uh, yeah, if, if you, going if... deep into the soul. Yeah, when it's your coming from your father or your mother, they're supposed to be the ones that love you unconditionally, whether you're ugly or not. You know, they're not supposed to say it. You know, it's the friends that you expect it. You know, you're just busting balls. You're going back and forth. Yeah, you're ugly, you're fat, you know, whatever. You go back and forth. Yeah. But your mom and your dad, that's your supposed to be your protector. So that's what, you know, I find. I talk to a lot of addicts, you know, doing this or in person. And I find, like, I got, for, I'm fortunate. You know, I came from great parents. and But I find a lot of people... It started with being put down at an early age from either the mother or the father and then wanting to rebel against them like an I'll show you kind of thing. Like, you don't like me for this? Well, I'll show you, you know, and that's just something I've noticed with like patterns, you know, when it comes to how long were you, was your dad even in your life early on then if he was putting you on boys' homes? Well, he he wasn't putting me on boys' homes. My behaviour, the, the courts were putting me in there because I was stealing push bikes. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, when you're uh, stealing as a kid, it's for attention that you're not getting at home from your parents, let's be real. Well, you, you just summed it up, man. Uh, you know, uh, all, all, all the above what you just said about uh, my parents, my behaviour, um, you know, I'll show you. Yeah. Um, spike and, and, spike and, grows and man did, didn't I show him uh, man I, uh, I I took it to the extreme yeah, addicts like yeah. to was your father an alcoholic like a heavy drinker he was and yeah. any drugs with your mom or anything or just like your dad she she drank also okay um, yeah so you were you were really seeing it you know at an early age 
And I would I would imagine uh, it's funny because a lot of people tell me they see it and then they hate it and then they become it. Is that your story? Uh, not really. When okay. I when I when I seen it, JD, uh, I, I I didn't rationalise it. I, I I didn't know any better. Um, I, I suppose one one of the um, one of the guiding lights through my um, process and through my childhood is that there was no articulation of feelings. There was no descriptions of anything in my household. It was like um, it was cold. But it was cold. It, it had a safety net being cold where I couldn't put anything together. So I didn't know any better. I thought the way I was was just normal. Were you an I only thought everybody child? else. Uh, sorry? Were you an only child? No, there was three more siblings in that unit. Okay. And did they, you know, get the same kind of treatment or were you did you feel like you were the only one that got that kind of treatment? Well, I was the last. Uh, so I, I, I think my, my parents were pretty tired, you know. Um, <laughs> my parents were the opposite. I think they they got a full head of steam by the time they got to the third one. They got it right. It's like I was the first one. I was a black sheep. My brother, they did really good with and My sister, they nailed it. You know, knocked yeah. it out of the park. <laughs> I feel like yeah. they got better as they went. It's the opposite. They weren't tired anymore. They were tired uh, of yeah. me. And it, no, my parents didn't yeah. mean it. Yeah, yeah. That's what. Uh, yeah, so you were the last, so they were like, "All right, we're just done parenting," you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, 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 they were like wiping their hands, and, 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 and especially how I was, you know, like, uh, you know, can I, I would have been a double. Fourteen. Sorry. Can I ask what happened at fourteen for you to have the charges that you did? Yeah, we. Uh, it's it's all in my book. All, all this stuff that I'm talking you about. You don't have to cover the whole thing. I'm just curious because you know we're talking, like a little. Yeah. Bit of, yeah. Yeah. I uh, we we went to uh, still some marijuana plants, and uh, the 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 guy that owned the plants uh, that lived in the house came out, and uh, we got into an altercation with him. And uh, evidently, from that altercation, my uh, my co-accused uh, stabbed him to death. Okay, so it was somebody you were with. Yeah, he he attacked me. He hit me a few times with an iron bar. He he had an iron bar and a baseball bat when he came out to confront us, and uh, I, I got knocked out from the blow. Okay, so that would make sense that you didn't get you got manslaughter and not you know. Because it wasn't you that actually stabbed him. No, uh, but but the thing that I got found guilty on was was pretty crazy, you know. Like um, uh, I, I won't go on too much, but you know, you, you got to prove intent, yeah. Mm -hmm. Prosecution had to prove intent, and when I was being interviewed, uh, I, I told the police that um, that my co-accused pulled out a knife and and he only he told me he had the knife to cut the plants because they were so big I knew they were big because there was kids prior to this that got uh that got caught by these guys and they absolutely flogged the shit out of these kids and uh so I I, I had all knowledge about this backyard and the plants and how it was set up so uh the police said what did he say when uh when he had the nice knife and and i said he said if anybody came was going to come out he was going to kill him and then he laughed 
and and in my world, I I used to hear that on a day to day basis. Somebody say, "I'm going to kill this person. I'm going to kill this motherfucker." You know, like, but it never happened until it does. And, well, that's what I got found guilty on. That uh, the 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 jury uh, come to the conclusion that. Um, yeah, I, I knew the intentions of what was going to happen. But anyway, that, anyway that, that's... I was just curious, yeah. 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 So what was it like when you finally got out of rehab for the first time and now you're not... There's no borders, there's no walls, you know, well, that I, are like, you know... Well, well, I had to go back to, to court for all those charges. Um, and uh, the, the judge gave me another three years back in prison. So... I had to go back to jail. Well, how and, how did that feel as a newly sober? Did you look at it as in like, well, just one more thing I have to do, or were you up, like, how bad did you take it, or good did you take it? Well, initially I was shattered, um, and I, I I remembered a staff member said to me uh, in in rehab, you know, don't be. Um, you know, don't measure yourself on setbacks in recovery. You know, like, don't throw everything away because of one setback. You know, like, you've still learned a lot of valuable information. You know, like, one setback will not define you. The only definition that will define you in your setbacks if you give it all up. And um, I I held on to that. I wasn't going to let one setback do that to me, you know. Um, so, uh, I, I, yeah, I, I was really upset and I remember going to my cell, uh, that, well, a couple of nights later when I arrived back in, in prison from, uh, the courthouse and I just cried in my cell and I was thinking, okay, how do I make this work? How do I make it work? And uh, come to me, keep up the principles. Keep up the principles that, that you got better on in rehab. Keep talking about your feelings. Keep being honest. Keep reaching out for people. Keep taking ownership for yourself. Don't blame other people for the way you feel. You'll get through this. Keep talking. So I, uh, I, I reached out to programs in prison and, and drug counsellors and um, uh, chaplains and psychologists and and JD anybody that would lend me an ear. Yeah, that's perfect. Yep. And um, that sounds like that's so, so, yeah. I, I I just kept talking, man. I just kept talking about my fears. I kept talking about my um, um, uh, all all the struggles and uh, what what I'm experiencing and how hard it is and uh, how scared I was, how intimidated I felt. And prior to that, I'd never talk like that. You know, I was this so-called tough guy, you know, <coughs> this guy that would take on anybody, you know, uh, that would never, ever talk to somebody and say, I'm scared. Yeah. I'm really threatened by this. I had found a part in my soul that I didn't want to lose, JD. I didn't want to move away from what I'd learnt at that rehab after I broke down and I made that decision to change. So, yeah, and and it, it was an interesting journey, man, because all these guys that I'd been in riots with, 
been in, you know, very violent situations with, um, you know, they're, 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 they're saying, you know, because I wanted to change the world, you know, I wanted to change them, you know, I was saying to them, you know, listen, boys, get to the drug group, uh, you know, you've got to take accountability for yourselves. If you don't do it, you're going to die in here. And, and I had connections with these humans, you know. I'd experienced a lot with them. And uh, they're saying to me, oh, come on, Bluey. Um, you, you, you're not going up for bail now, mate. Um, you know, they touch me on the head and say, look, you, you got a fever, Blue. You're sick. And um, I'd say, mate, I'm not sick. I've changed, man. And um, I, I cared for them, man. And... Um, yeah, and, and, and mate, I'd, I'd, I'd never, ever been offered so much heroin for free, you know? <laughs> just to see if you'd break, were they offering? Yeah. Just to see if you would just, they were just, man. <laughs> just like, come on, Dean, come on. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, where yeah. was all this free dope five years ago when yeah. I it? <laughs> I should have been telling everybody for years I was quitting. They've been shoving it down my throat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, 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 yeah. I, I probably wouldn't have been in jail because I wouldn't have had to steal for it, you know. Yeah. Well, yeah. so what was that like? Those those kind of interactions is that kind of what inspired you to write your book, or when did you write your book? Or well, yes and no. I um, I, 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 I I I knew uh, after a, a period of time of uh, of commitment to recovery. In respect to changing my attitude, that's that. That's all my recovery was about. Um, I, I knew uh, I was I was because I become so open in my soul and so transparent because I took accountability and I stopped blaming people for everything. Uh, all this other stuff started coming into me. You know, uh, I was I was going to be a multi-millionaire and. I'd never had a job in my life, JD. I'd never worked, man. I'd never—I I had no formal education, and um, I started telling people oh, I'm going to be a millionaire. And they said, "Oh, come on, Blue, you know." Uh, We—they <laughs> we, used to call me the compound counsellor. Um, you know, we—we—we we, we know you've—we—we—we <laughs> we, we, we know you've changed, but. Come on, mate. You, you're taking it a little bit extreme now. Millionaire? How are you going to be a millionaire? I said, I don't know how it's going to happen. I said, I just know it's going to happen. And then I'd start coming up with these analogies. I'd start saying things to them. There's a guy down here in Australia. He's dead now. His name was Kerry Packer. Uh, he, he's, he, he, they, own, they own a lot of media, uh, Channel 9. And uh, he's got a son uh, that, that's had, uh, that had casinos in, in Vegas. His name is James Packer. And uh, also through, um, uh, through Taiwan and through China, he's, he got into casinos. But his father was uh, a very rich man. And I'd say to these guys, what's the difference between uh, me and Kerry Packer? If I cut him with a knife, he's going to bleed like me, yeah? And they'd go, yeah. I'd go, well, the only difference between me and him is that he's got knowledge that I haven't got yet. So being open, JD, I, I, I become that open. I knew that I could receive the knowledge to, to help me become this millionaire. 
I, I had the motivation. I had you the drive it? me. I, I become a multi-millionaire. It's, it's a, you got a nice kitchen behind you. Yeah, you know, uh, you know, that's a nice appliance. I used to sell appliances, you know, back in the day. So I know there's some nice appliances behind you. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and 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 I didn't steal them. There you go. Look at that. <laughs> it would have been a lot harder to steal those. <laughs> those ones are not. I tell you what, if I was hanging out for a shot, I would have put that friggin' oven on my shoulder. <laughs> yeah. So you were, yeah, because you like to steal stuff back in the day. Is that what it was? Yeah, uh, if, if, if it wasn't bolted down, it'd be in my hand, you know? <laughs> Is that, how many of those 120 charges were theft? <laughs> uh, a lot of them. <laughs> a lot of them? <laughs> <laughs> They're like, man, we got a long list on you. <laughs> They're just going... It was like a telephone book. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you do to become this millionaire now? Well, I, uh, I, I, I finished the sentence and uh, uh, I decided uh, to go back to that rehabilitation centre on my own accord because I realised that for me to be successful in life, I had to complete tasks. If I started something, I had to complete it. So I knew to be successful, that's what you had to do. And, and I don't know where this information was coming from, JD. I just started knowing this shit, you know? Mm -hmm. So I went back to the rehab on my own accord and um, I, I completed the program. Only 0.3% uh, did complete that program. It was so hard. And, um, and, and that was no prerequisite that they were going to live a life where they were... Uh, you know, fitted into kind of mainstream society, um, and 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 I finished that, and um, I, I knew I had to get a job. I've never had a job in my life other than in the boys' homes, and um, I, I, I got a job as a telemarketer, and um, I, I I went into this office and uh, a guy that. Had known the family, owed the family a favour because my family members had um, uh, looked after him once when he uh, was wanted for a shooting on the Gold Coast where I live. And so he he took me under his wing and uh, I listened to him selling advertising on the phone. And um, his effort was phenomenal. And um, I, I knew I had that in me. I didn't have the skill set, but I knew I had his effort. The drive. And, uh, yeah, I knew I had the drive in me, man. Um, and 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 I looked around the office over a period of time and um, and, and I seen the same effort from the other telemarketers. And anyway, come Friday after five days of sitting this, with this guy in his office, um, I... Uh, he, he said to me, he said, Dean, how much does the Prime Minister get paid a week? I said, I wouldn't have a clue, Billy. And he he, uh, he just got paid by the boss and he pulled out probably $2,000 in $100 notes. And uh, I said, give me that phone. And um, I, I, they, they finished at 10 o'clock on Fridays. I only worked three days a week. And uh, I started picking that phone up. And I, I picked it up and I, I was sticking to the script, as he told me to do. And um, five o'clock in the afternoon, uh, turn clicked over and 
the boss come in and uh, he said, listen, mate, the, the, the people will be there on Monday, mate. And uh, I said, all right. I said, I'll be here. I said, what time does this office open? He said, I'll be here at 7.30. I said, I'll, I'll be here at 7 waiting for you at 7.30. So uh, I, I become his best telemarketer. And I was making money uh, I'd, I'd never made in my whole life. And I mm. thought, and, and I've been a junkie and I've been a criminal. And, and this was always here for me. And um, so that's how it started. I be I be I become a great salesperson. And um, once I mastered that, it went from there to I I, I, I seeked another uh, destination, and uh, that was my own business. And that happened with my brother, and and it just went on and on and on and on and on. And um, within 10 years, I created um, a $12 million property portfolio. Yeah, I travelled the world. That's amazing. Um, yeah. Definitely wouldn't have gotten that in addiction. Only in, well, only in recovery, you're going to get something well, like that back. Well, I wouldn't have had it there in attitude, my friend. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have had it there in behaviour. Mm -hmm. And thank God, that's what I got in recovery. I got in recovery that it, 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 it wasn't about the drugs. It was about my attitude and my behaviour and how I was conducting myself. Full stop. Yep. Full stop. Yeah, I always, I always talk about it. I mean, listeners will hear me say it all the time that the drugs weren't our problem. They were our solution to our problems. You exactly. Know? And, and, you know, just because we stopped doing drugs doesn't mean we're better people. You have to do the work. You have to talk to others. You have to go to meetings, go to support, talk to somebody beside yourself. Because, you know, when I was in addiction, I was, I was in the pills. I was a pharmacist and a therapist for myself. I wasn't good at it. I, I would have told you then I was the best in the world. But looking back, I'm like, I was horrible. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. So, you know, and it's an ego thing. The longer you're in addiction, the bigger your ego gets that you can get away with it. So then exactly. that's another thing you have to shrink when you go into the rehabs. And you have to be vulnerable. You have to be okay with being vulnerable. Because you have to find out what your real problems inside were or are in order to work on that. So this way you're not some dry drunk walking around being a miserable prick in, in recovery. <laughs> you got it and uh it, it's it, it's 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 getting to that vulnerability jd and um and staying there and 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 learning to feel that every day of your life learning yeah. to feel vulnerable when you're like a child every single day working towards that position when you start your day and uh, if you can start it from there, I don't know. This is only, it's worked for me. Starting it from there gives me a platform where I can go back to it and go, uh, I was vulnerable today. I was scared today. I felt insecure today. I was in ego today. I felt really inadequate today. I felt happy today. Uh, instead of blaming people and giving away that power to other human beings or circumstances, that really disempowers you, JD. It does, yeah. From, from that position of vulnerability, 
if finding that each day of your life uh it's a great springboard to 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 get to know thyself again yeah i couldn't agree more and you said you and your brother started the company together like my brother and i we're really close now um i wasn't the best person in addiction you know to anybody um my brother and sister never really got in never got into drugs and they drink here and there for parties but it's nothing like you know an everyday alcoholic thing um so but they were still understanding and you know took my apologies you know what i mean and, and back in their lives and everything and we're really close i'm best man at my brother's wedding next month um so how was that relationship with your brother in addiction to like did it, how long did it take i mean you're in and out of jail for a while when you're growing up with this brother he knows this so how long does it retrust you again to start a business with him you know yeah, well, uh, yeah, he was a heroin addict also. Oh, I hate to say good, but I mean, at least <laughs> we can see on at least he's seeing on your, your the same playing field, you know. At least he understands right. the mind and what it goes through a little bit more sympathetic. I would hope. <laughs> Ex exactly. Uh, yeah. So, uh, as a matter of fact, he uh, he, he was still uh, using off and on when we when we started the business and i had to tell him you know if you don't do something about your problem we're you know uh hasta la vista baby i'm yeah. i'm out of here you know so he went into rehab uh it was in 1994 uh, that he ended a rehab it's just around the corner from where i live actually here on the gold coast and uh you know kudos to him because uh he, he 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 changed his life and he made the effort and um so yeah that's good uh, then it, you could help him you could help you know your older brother get out of it and i'm sure seeing you you know turning it around was an inspiration to you know see him like well if he can do it i can do it you know that kind of mentality you know like if he can if he, i know how bad how bad off he was i should be able to get myself out of this mess too well, th that's the thing, uh, you know, I, I, I think I did become a shining light uh, from this point of view also that what I had learned about my behaviour and attitude and all the problems that I identified that I did have later in life, um, I, I I wanted to tell the world about it. I, I had no problem expressing to people about what I had been through, what what I had overcome, because I was really proud of myself. Yeah. You know, I, I was really proud. Oh, I know. That, that. <laughs> yeah. That I that I turned it around, JD. You know, and and on top of that, mate, I I I wasn't in prison anymore, mate. And and I was connecting with people and. And, and I was getting close and, and I liked it. So, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the, the, the example that I had been, be, become uh, did, have a, did have an impact because I wanted to share it with everybody. You know, I, I, think, I, I think the problem sometimes in a recovery that, you know, addicts think that they're different to everybody else. Well, they are, but they're different in a really positive aspect. Uh, but it's how you see that. If if you can use your experiences as, as as optimism of overcoming and showing other people that yes, I have fucked up, 
Yes, I have had problems. Yes, I have had bad behaviours. Yes, I've done a lot of bad things, but I'm not doing it now. And this is the reason why I'm not doing it, because I have changed. Yep. And, 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 and I remember I, I was doing NA uh, after I finished rehab, and the director of that rehabilitation centre, she went out into private practice. And I used to go and see her privately, and her name was Jenny Klassen, a beautiful lady. I love her to death. And um, I, I was, she said, how are you going? I said, I'm good. I'm good, man. She said, that's great. I said, I'm going NA, and, you know, things are good. And, hey, JD, NA, NAA, all good shit, bro. Mm -hmm. Anything that's going to help people, all good, man. But she said, Dean, do you really think that you need NA? I said, well, I can relate to people there. She said, you don't think you can relate to, uh, to normal people? I said, uh, yeah. She said, well, what's wrong with you talking about your feelings to people that's never been to places where you've been? I said, I do that. She said, well, why do you think you need to go back and associate with what you've been uh, done in the past and stuff like that? And I said, well, you've got a point. I probably don't have to go there. And my, and I, I realised that you don't have to be a drug addict to relate to normal people on a feelings level because all people, irrespectively... I've had drug abuse or whatever their problems have been prior uh, to their life or your life. All people are human, bruh. All people feel vulnerability. All people feel scared. All people feel uncertain. All people feel love. All people feel insecure. All people feel inadequate. All people feel... All your emotions that you feel, everyone feels. Everyone is the same on a human level. And this separation of addicts of, oh, we need to stay here, we need to do this, because this is what we're used to. I'm here to say bullshit. You are a human being like anybody else in your life. Yes, you've had experiences, no problem. Yes, you've associated with people through those experiences, but you don't have to live there for the rest of your life. Yeah, you would actually probably like where we're at. We're at a we do mental health meetings, mental yeah. health mental health check-ins, where yeah. you can come here and talk. You know, we have them twice a day, every day, seven days a week. <clears throat> you can come here and talk either about trauma, depression, anxiety. You know, whatever's on your mind that during that day, whether you're an addict still, whether you're in recovery, whether you don't want to go through the twelve steps, you want to talk about something. You can literally bring anything to the table. And talk about it amongst people. And not everybody in the room is in recovery, you know. And they're going to just put their feelings out there, too, and just talk about open things. And there's people that come, you know, that are still getting high. And, you know, they're getting less and less high every time they come in here. You know, but I'm not kicking them out the door because they're still high. I'm not telling them they can't talk. I want him to talk. I want him to be able to ask me questions. You know, and we have families that come in that are just stuck because their their loved ones are in addiction. 
you know, and that's why, but it was important to me that we didn't call it AA or NA or anything anonymous. It was, you know, it, our company is called MJ's Progress, Not Perfection. And we do, you know, we do morning meeting at 9 a.m. And then my wife runs a morning meditation afterwards where it does like a guided meditation in a meditation room. And then 6.30 every day, we have a different like theme meeting, like sometimes just for trauma. Sometimes there's people doing harm reduction where they're like tapering down and stuff like that. But still something different every day. And then the mental health again at night. This way, if you can't make the morning, you can make the night or you can make both. But either way, like come in and talk about your day. How was your day? You know, powerful, man. Powerful shit. Yeah. So, and I, because I loved, you know, I I took all my favorite things from AA and NA because I went to both. I went through the steps in AA. And, you know, I had an amazing experience going through the steps. And, you know, I promote the steps to anybody that wants to go through it. I'll take you through it. I have no problem with that. I still have the books. Let's do it. Let's get into the work. I love using the steps daily. Mm. But that's not what the meetings are for. The meetings, we don't have them on the wall. We're going to talk about our day and our feelings. You know, how was your day? Go around the room. You know, oh, can anyone speak to that? You know, it's basically like, you know, crosstalk, you know, where everyone can share on any kind of topic. And everyone can get something out, you know, around quarter to nine or quarter to ten. Like, hey, anyone have any things you want to end on? That you, this way we can spend some time on it. And it's been great for people. You know, people have been coming either every day or once a week to the same meetings. And, you know, they get to sit and just, like, unload, you know, word vomit, let shit out, you know, in a safe place. And it's been really, it's been only opened two months ago because COVID and all that. Um, but still it's been great because I missed meetings. I just didn't want to go back to AA or anything. I liked doing it this way, Mm. you know, and now I sit in like four meetings a day, (laughs) three meetings a day. So my mental health is going as strong as ever between the meetings and talking to everybody, you know, in recovery all the time from all over the world now. Now I can yeah. say all over the world because I'm talking to you. Just... <laughs> <laughs> so wh- when did you write your book then? Let's talk about that. Okay. Uh, I-, I started writing the book in uh, 2006. And what inspired you to write the book about your life? Uh, well, um, uh, my life, you know. Well, uh, I mean, you know, uh, come on, there's something. There's usually like, okay. there has to be usually okay. something where you go, you know what? I got to write this down. Because, like, I write, so I know that feeling. Yeah, gotcha. Okay, well, um, as, I, as I said, I've become uh, a multi-millionaire. I, uh, I, I achieved every single dream that I've ever wanted in my life. There's nothing that I haven't achieved uh, on every single level, okay? But when I first started um, telemarketing, there was, uh, th- there was a lie in the pitch. And because I had come from an environment of complete honesty, that lie in that pitch didn't sit well with me. But then I thought, well, it's such a small lie that, um, you know, it's okay. I rationalised it and I justified it. And 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 yes, I, uh, I I made a lot of money in the in the business world. But I always wanted. Uh, I, I always knew that I had more to offer, or or I had another destiny to do. And uh, you know, and I, and I knew it was around 
talking to people or helping people or talking about my life. And But I didn't want to be um, like a person that turned their life around and, and said, oh, well, okay, now I, I, I talk about how, you know, I wanted to help people and I was open and transparent. But I, 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 wanted, to, I wanted to achieve all my dreams, you know. I had a lot of shit I wanted to catch up on and I made sure I did that. So I become really financial and I, I did all that. But I, I didn't want to, when I change, I, I, I just didn't want to change and, and live uh, just as a change addict, you know. I, I wanted, uh, if I was going to change, I was going to have a, a value kind of life. My life was going to be something. And um, so, so... I always had this underlying um, uh, niggling emotion and thought on, uh, on, on, on one day I'm not going to do the telemarketing. On one day I'm going to do something else in my life. And uh, in, in 2006, I just got out of the federal court in Sydney with our regulator here in Australia on a misleading and deceptive uh, allegation in my business practices. And uh, it cost me millions of dollars. And um, uh, they were trying to get orders against me where I couldn't trade as a telemarketer. They wanted to give me a life sentence not to be a telemarketer because I actually found something in the law that allowed me to do what I was uh, allowed to do. And they had to, they had to change it in Parliament. To uh, to stop me doing it, and um, that's when you know you got them. <laughs> <laughs> and they're going to Parliament uh, to change some laws because of you. <laughs> so, uh, so 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 I thought after that that trial, um, where am I going, man? Where am I going? I, I'd, I'd uh, you know I'd I'd, I'd been at, at at it now for 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 sixteen years, you know. I'd, I'd, I'd had the, the most fantastic life and um, and uh, I, I, there was there was nothing left in me that I, I wanted to do uh, financially. I, I'd done it. I'd, I'd done everything. And um, so I started writing and uh, I, 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 I was thinking, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll put my life story into a movie. So... I started writing uh, a, a movie about my life and um, I, I still wasn't a very good writer. You know, I had no uh, academic or education uh, as far as literature is con concerned or screenplays or anything like that. So I, um, I just started writing and I kept writing and I kept writing and I kept writing and... Uh, uh, you know, it was about the movie of my life, and um, uh, I, I thought I'm going to need I'm going to need somebody to help me. Um, so I, uh, you know, when, when the teacher, you know, when the student's ready, the teacher appears, so to speak. You know, JD, mm -hmm. and um, so I, I, I see this uh, this article of uh, of a festival in a place called Byron Bay. Um, here in uh, northern New South Wales. And uh, it, it was the Byron Bay Writers' Festival. Now, as I said, I'm writing a movie, but I decided to go to this festival. 
and um, I'm just walking around the festival and looking at you know, authors talking and speakers, and it was cool. And and I see this tent and this uh, this guy standing there it was a self-publishing tent. And I went up to him. I said, "How are you, buddy?" And he said, "Yeah, good, man." And uh, he was an Irish guy. And uh, he said, "How can I help you?" And I said, uh, "I said, mate, I'm writing a movie, and uh, I, I need somebody to help me." I said, "Do you know any editors or anybody who can help me?" And he said, "Yeah, I think I do." So he gave me a lady's number, and um, I got in touch with her, and uh, we met up, and uh, I, I, I bought the uh, I bought the manuscript that that I had, and. Um, I, she said, I'll take it away and have a look at it. And we come back together about a week later. I said, you know, what's your thought? She said, there's a rough diamond in there. Um, but, uh, you know, it's going it's to need a hell of a lot of work. And yeah. uh, I said, no, that, that, that's all good. She said, but it's not going to be a movie. She said, I'm a, I'm a writer, Dean, and I'm an editor. She said, my suggestion is if you, if you want to get this into a story... Um, you write a book. I said, let's write a book. I said, well, take it away and, and get into it. She said, oh, well, no, wait there. She said, I, I don't think you understand something here. I said, well, well, enlighten me. She said, I'm not going to write this. She said, um, she said, but what I'll do, I'll teach you how to write. I looked at her. And I thought, there's nothing I can't learn. Yes. <laughs> you know. I <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> Why can't I do myself the right? Oh, this is easy. Yeah. And uh, I, I said, I said I'm a fast learner. I said that sounds good to me. So uh, that's how I that that's how I wrote the book, and I wrote it in conjunction with her, and it took me 12 years, and uh, it's had fantastic reviews. If you, yeah, if you have a look on Facebook, King Hit Book, or the website, or the W's, kinghitbook.com. And it'll, see be, it'll be in the description below. Whoever's watching on YouTube, or if you're listening on Apple or Spotify, if you go in the description below right now, it'll also have the link straight to your website and your book as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it, it, yeah, I, I loved it. And uh, I, I love writing it, and uh, I, I love I, I love how how I learn how to write. I, writing I learn... can be really therapeutic when you do it right. You know, when you're when you're writing for you know your yourself out like that and putting your story out there, it can be extremely therapeutic to actually put pen to paper, or, you know, whatever, just to actually put it out there. It feels really good. Well. What I didn't understand about writing, and there's a lot of things I didn't understand about literature and English, but one of the things I didn't understand is that writing is an art. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a very artistic kind of person and, and I, I always want to, uh, you know, create the best in, in anything I've ever done, be that in rehabilitation, be that in business, uh, be that in relationships, be that in friendships, um, be that in my life, going to the gym, um, designing things, and and I realised the art, and 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 she taught me uh, 
how to construct a story that that could be very artistic and um you know the feedback i've got as far as the the the, the story is concerned how engaging it is and how how the author's voice comes through how how people have said that they feel like they're sitting down with me on the other side of a table having a coffee with me while I'm telling them the whole story. And, and, and that is the pinnacle of the effort that I put into that. You know, it, it had 20, over 20 edits, JD. And um, even doing the last edit in 2019, her and I were still laughing about the stories in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the um, stories are kind of timeless. They are. It, it, if if they're constructed in the right way yeah uh because writing is completely different to this kind of uh communication you know it's it's an art to write well and so the books just came out then last couple of years yeah I, I bought it out in 2019 and i self-published it I, I thought if anybody can nail it in self-publishing it'll be me <laughs> given, given my <laughs> track record <laughs> yeah yeah. Given given the lead up to it all, you know, what happened to me when I went through that big process, <laughs> like 30 years of, uh, of of being really connected to what you're talking about, money. And uh, it was an addiction, man. I, I, I loved it. I, I loved it. But in the end, uh, it, it was no different to any other addiction, you know. I, I sold my soul to it. And um, I, I see that now, JD. And and yeah, I'm back to Dean, man. You know. And anything uh, that makes your life unmanageable is a problem. Whether exactly. it's money, whether it's women, whether it's exactly. drugs, alcohol, whatever. You know, people always forget about exactly. the unmanageability part of the steps. It's not yeah. just about admitting you have a problem. It's about what the problem is and what's making your life so unmanageable that it's a problem. Because if your life's not imaginable, it's not usually a problem. But you know, <laughs> and 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 that's right. And and the the benchmark with that being unmanageable is is my happiness. Um, you know, that's really important, and my contentment, and uh, be being that peace and and feeling good, and getting back to the simple things um, in life. You know, uh, you know the gratitude. Um, you know, I, I, I live uh, I, I live 50 metres to the beach, um, you know, the, the walks on the beach, uh, time with my children, um, going to the gym, having a laugh, having a yard like this, you know, just just cruising, man, you know. And yeah. um, uh, there, there's a lot to be grateful for. Um, well, I, I, for me, there is, you know. Uh, I've, I've had a fantastic life, brother. Um and and there's a lot more to come. I'm 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 in the I'm writing uh, I'm writing movies at the moment. So <laughs> on to the next that's, one. That's the next one, and uh, you know it's it's going to be on it's going to be Netflix. It's it's good stuff that I'm doing, man. It's really good, and uh, a lot more detail than the book. Uh, so you're doing something on your story, but for Netflix. Yeah, I'm. 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 Uh, when, when I first bought the uh, the the book out, I uh, because I self published it, uh, and I'm a highly motivated human being, and 
I've got no problem reaching out to anybody and talking to anybody on any level. I, I don't care who they are, uh, prime ministers, people, anyone on the street, drug addicts. I'm, I'm, I'm everywhere and all over the place. And um, I've reached out to a lot of people on Netflix in movies and um, and um, uh, uh, people, publicists and uh, marketers and pushing my book and. Um, and yeah, I, uh, I I tripped over a lady who uh, who worked at a place called Movie World here on the Gold Coast, um, and that was a a, a subsidiary of uh, MGM in America. Okay. Um, and she uh, she said, how, "How can I help you?" Uh, she she was a makeup artist there. And I said, oh, I'm, I'm going to make a movie uh, one day and, and I'm looking for producers and production companies and people to, uh, to support me. And she said, uh, she said, what's in it for me? And I said, well, to tell you the truth, I haven't got much to offer you other than when I do kick it and when I do create it, I won't forget you. And, and I won't. And uh, I'll give her something very attractive when, when this happens. And um, she said, well, let me read this story. And um, so I sent her the e-book and um, she got back in touch with me and she said, that's one of the best uh, stories I've ever read. She said, that's fantastic. She said, what a, what a story. And she said, I'm going to give you a contact. She said, there's a lot of cowboys in this industry, Dean. She said, but this guy is the real deal. And uh, she gave me a contact, and uh, he is the real deal. And uh, he read the book, and uh, he said it's it's got everything in it. He said he said write the script, dude. And um, so that was a process writing it, and I'm still writing it. And uh, yeah, it it looks like it's gonna it's gonna be um, it's gonna have episodes. It's gonna be in series because it's too big, JD. It's the story is huge, man. It's and if you huge. want to get the characters right, you need the miniseries, yeah. you know, because if you're, it seems like you're the type of person that you care about the details or else it wouldn't have taken you 12, 20 edits in 12 years. Right. If you right. care about the details, that right. means you care about the character developments, which means there's no way you can do an hour, 90 to 120 minute movie. You need like eight hours, which is like, you know, six, you know, usually it's a page a minute, you know that. So like, you need that time, like to fill in that script, and to be able to like make it into what you want it to be and tell your story. That's awesome. That and it's a lot different writing the screenplay. Are you the kind that you know you like to write the dialogue as you go, or do you set up the scene and then go back? Well, uh, I found a I found a lady that that did screenplays in New South Wales, and um, uh, I sent her the book and. Um, she 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 did uh, a 90-page, one-hour-and-a-half movie out of the book. And when she sent the, the screenplay back, it, it just didn't serve it justice, J.D., you know. She'd done her best, and I sent, and I sent that on to my man, uh, who I'm pretty sure I'll be working with uh, to, to, uh, to create it. And... Um, he, uh, he 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 only read one page of it and he put it down. He said, it's not it, Dean. I said, no, it is not it. And I, I, I think I, 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 I sent it to her, JD, 
to put a cracker in my ass to get me to do it, you know? Yeah. Because once it was started, man, I, I knew I had to jump in and do it. That, and, that, that, um, yeah, that, that happens very often. I mean, I'm not trying, I'm nowhere, you know, I'm not going to try to compare it to Quentin Tarantino, you know, one of the best filmmakers in this country, in our country. Um, yeah. But he's the kind of person that doesn't like other people to write his stuff. You gotcha. know, he, he has to write his screenplay. You know, he doesn't yeah. want, and he doesn't want to give his screenplay to a different director and then have that director take his screenplay and make gotcha. it into something else. He did that yeah. once with Natural Born Killers, and then he never liked doing it ever again because he didn't like what Oliver Stone did with his story. Like, he's gotcha. like, hey, take my name off of that. I don't want my name on there. That's yeah. how upset he was. And he never did yeah. it again except for his best friend. So I can see that. You'd be like, this isn't my story. This isn't, I can't, I know, I gotta, I gotta do this. And, yeah, and, 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 and it's not my story uh, for, 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 the, for the good of people to see it and the benefit because um, I, I'm, I'm not attached to it from, uh, from, from that position of, of me owning it. I'm only attached to it from the position of the value and, and the, uh, the message that has to be in it interwoven with the madness and interwoven with uh, a good story and a funny story and a crazy story. Yeah. So um, I, I, I love Quentin Tarantino. I've, I've, I've seen, you know, I love Reservoir Dogs. I, I love Pulp Fiction. You know, he's, he's really famous down here, man. Oh, and, good. Uh, yeah, he, he's, he's the man down here too, you know. Yeah. And, um, well, he, you guys are all, you know, you're an island of criminals. Like, you guys were like the jail for you England, it. right? That's you where got England it, man. And, all their, and then all of a sudden, <laughs> you're just an island full of criminals coming up. <laughs> it's, 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 it's amazing what a colony can do. Yeah. Like, not a lot of people know about that. I forget I was telling somebody recently, and we were talking about Australia, and I said, you know, yeah. it was their jail, yeah. right? And they're like, what are you talking That's about? I'm what like, I did. Like, it, it was England's jail. Like, when you were bad in England, they set you off down to Australia, and that was your jail. And then all of a sudden, they started colonizing, and then they became Look their own it. country. But, like, Look at they, it. they were all criminals that came up together, you know, kind of like how we were a bunch of criminals fighting the English back in the 1700s. Exactly. Australia exactly. did the same shit. You fought back, but you guys were all criminals, like, binding together, fighting back to take over your country. I think that shit's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 yeah, you're right. And and that and that goes to show, you know, the 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 power of of the human being, irrespectively of where they're coming from. Perseverance, um, man. You, you know, well, 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 you know, you're you're right. You know, like, uh, you know, their their objective was was to send people here as criminals, and and out of that, uh, we're we're living in this country. And this country is a is a great country, and it's got a, you know, a a, a, a very good constitution, and you know we're still under the English um, rule, but you know it's it's a beautiful place, man. It's it's yeah. a great country to live in, JD. It's great freedom. I hope to make people. it out there sometime. I wonder. I want to visit so bad, and I just don't want to fly to LAX because I saw Lost, and last time <laughs> Lost, they were yeah. flying from LAX to Sydney in the show. And that's yeah. how, you know, they they crash that plane. So I think I might try to fly from somewhere else, though, when I come to visit. <laughs> well, well, I've uh, I've 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 spent a I've spent a hell of a lot of time in your country. Oh yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, we're, yeah, we're yeah. At, I'm over in Pennsylvania. We're about two hours from Philly, two hours from New York City, where I'm at. But I grew up, yeah. I grew up minutes from Philadelphia, where I grew up. And so, I, um, yeah, I, I've, I've, I've spent, uh, I've spent a lot of time in New York. I, I was in Vermont. Uh, absolutely, I was in Vermont uh, when Y2K was happening, when it was turning over from 1999. <laughs> To 2000, and uh, we're, we're on a we're on a frozen lake up there, uh-huh. and um, yeah, what 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 a beautiful place! And um, we were staying in a penthouse uh, with a good friend of mine, his mate, who, uh, who who's got a who's got who had a photographic studio on the Hudson River, and. Um, yeah, he uh, he 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 worked for uh, Fortune 500 magazine. He was a photographer th- for them, and he travelled the world with them, yeah. doing uh, round tables with CEOs right out throughout America. And uh, he had all these photos of him and Bill Clinton and Muhammad Ali and all these famous people. And yeah, he was one crazy motherfucker. Uh, he he was a, a he he was a Vietnam vet. And uh, he he was uh, an MP in Vietnam, military police. Yeah, yeah. And, um, he 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 had a he had an apartment also in uh, Greenwich Village. I, I mean, if he has a, a studio overlooking the Hudson and an apartment in Greenwich Village, I don't care. Yeah. I mean, especially in the nineties. Yeah. Like, that's when like it was New York was shooting up in the mid mid to late nineties during you the technology it. boom. Exactly. I mean, they were swimming in money, and that those are those places are expensive. So wow. I can imagine you guys were at a nice place in Vermont if he's like you know footing those bills around there. Plus, you got your own money by ninety nine two thousand. So uh, either way, women in it. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. awesome, man. I'm glad that you're like at where you're at now, you know, where you can actually appreciate even not even being you know loaded as you were money wise or loaded on drugs. Either yeah. way, you know, yeah. you can be good in your mind and you can find peace and you can find ways to get out, you know, any kind of frustrations or outlets that you have now are all positive. Okay. So I appreciate your time hopping on me for a little bit. So yeah, I had no, fun time. <laughs> yeah, me too, man. It was, it was great talking to you, JD. Eh? And hopefully we might be able to talk again in the future, right? Oh, yeah, for sure, man. I'll be here. Keep the heart open, man. The, the the more open you are and the more responsibility you take for your thoughts and feelings and behavior, mate, uh, you can bring in anything, J.D. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Thanks again, Dean. I appreciate it. Have a good night. Have a good day, bud. God bless, brother. <laughs>